Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. Luke, chapter 20, and you remember, for those of you that have been tracking with us here through Luke's Gospel, and particularly in Luke, chapter 20, we are dealing with some of the encounters that Jesus experiences on the week between His triumphal entry and His death and resurrection in Jerusalem. So there is a wave after wave of of those who would come in opposition to Jesus, opposing Him, trying to, to trap Him in some of His words, trying to trick Him. If nothing else we see today, try to make Him look like a fool. And that seems to be at least part of what the Sadducees had in mind in today's text. Our text will be Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 27. As the Sadducees come, it helps us a little bit to know a little bit, of, a little bit about this group. What we know about the Sadducees basically comes from two sources. From the Scripture themselves, and there are places in the New Testament where the Sadducees are referenced through the Gospels and also in the book of Acts. And also from Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote some about the Sadducees. But to keep in mind, if you read Josephus' Antiquities, anybody's up to, to reading something as extensive as that, I reference it every now and then, I have not read it. But Josephus writes as a Pharisee. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were quite often in opposition one to another. So you have to take with something of a grain of salt when Joseph speaks of the Sadducees disparagingly, uh, at least some degree of discerning. Now, is he writing as a Pharisee or is he writing as best he can as, as, an, objective, as an objective historian? And so, again, to keep in mind, if you are familiar with some of the writings of Josephus, the Sadducees were a minority Jewish sect of Jesus' day. And again, opponents of the Pharisees. They had power, though. They had influence largely by three things. Number one was education. They were a very educated group of men. Number two was by wealth. Typically a very wealthy group of people. Those who were Sadducees had, had the higher Incomes lived in a higher economic status. But thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, was their influence and their power because of their position. The Sadducees were the party of the high priest. So when you have the high priest indicated in the New Testament, the high priest encountered at Jesus' trial and proceeding, the high priest mentioned in the book of Acts, it is one of the Sadducees. So to keep that in mind when we are speaking of them, they, they were small, but they, they healed, had a great deal of influence. Now generally, the Sadducees are traced to the high priest Zadok, who officiated during the reign of King David in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 17. And so Sadducee comes as a form of the name of Zadok, Z-A-D-O-K. Again, the high priest during King David's reign. So when this group comes to Jesus, you know, the question might prevail is, can this group who are the educated, the high-ranking officials, can they fare any better against Jesus? And they almost, you get almost a sense of they come looking down their noses as, you guys may not be able to handle Jesus, but we've got Him. We've got Him very simply, and so we're ready to encounter Him when they come, as we see in our text, beginning in verse 27. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. And to understand that when they, we speak of their believing that there is no resurrection, that's somewhat of a shorthand. They did not believe in the immortality of the soul, hence the resurrection. So when you see here that it says that they didn't believe in the resurrection, keep in mind what we're also seeing in that is they didn't hold to the immortality of the soul. That once, once a person died, that the soul was gone as well. Verse 28. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. Now there were seven brothers. And the first took a wife and died childless. Childless. 
and the second, and the third married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. In the resurrection, trick question here. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she will she will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die, even die anymore, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living For all live to Him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Perhaps done better than they had been able to do in dealing with the Sadducees. Verse 40. For they did not have courage to question Him any longer about anything. I don't know how many of you have ever had a big piece of humble pie. (laughs) One of the biggest pieces of humble pie, I think it's difficult for us, any of us to swallow, is just being told that you are wrong. And generally, the case is that if you're told that you are wrong about something, if it's a friend or someone who's of a peer of yours, it's generally not that blunt. We trust that it's not. Sometimes it may come in the form of a question, well, if you think this, and then they present another question and another issue. And I just remember, just even my own experience, a young fellow who, when I was back in my 20s, and I was, this was actually the young man that introduced me to Reformed doctrine and Reformed faith. And basically what he did is we would get together occasion and have a meal, and we would go and we would talk, and we sat in a McDonald's in Gallatin, Tennessee. And this fellow just very quietly and gently Asked me questions about my theology and just let me shoot my own holes in it. And I began to say, you know, there are some real problems here. So I wasn't being confronted with the words, Randy, you are wrong, but I was just having piece by piece and point by point of my theological positions just being stripped away and exposed. Painful. Sometimes it can be embarrassing. Sometimes it's of things of less importance than where we may stand on some theological issues. But at the same time, profitable. If it does bring about correction in our lives. As we look at the account here of Jesus with the Sadducees, Luke gives an account that is also paralleled in the Gospels of Matthew and of Mark, again, the, the, synoptic, the synoptic Gospels. Luke's account is somewhat sanitized in that Luke omits the direct charge that Jesus brings against the Sadducees. And in fact, just for reference, turn with me very quickly to, to, uh, to Mark chapter 12. Mark gives us what's included in Matthew. And Matthew, I'll reference Matthew, Matthew 22, verse 29. Just very simply, Jesus says to the Sadducees in, their, in responses to their, their question, it says, you are mistaken. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, he says this in response to their question. Is this not the reason you are mistaken? And then down in verse 27, the last verse of that encounter, 
He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Then he says this, you are greatly mistaken. You are wrong. And he says, if you want to just look back again at Mark 12, 24. Isn't this the reason you're mistaken? You do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God. You don't understand, Sadducees, the Scriptures. And you don't understand the power of God. And I think it's a reasonable conclusion that those two are closely intertwined. That if you don't understand the Scriptures, you're not going to understand the power of God. That you cannot truly separate the two. So apparently there are some things that the Scriptures reveal to us that are not necessarily understood by a reading and perhaps reading many times we would understand that the Sadducees as the party of the high priest they knew the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures of their day they knew what it said but according to Jesus here their conclusions are wrong. You are mistaken. That there is a message of the Scriptures that we are responsible and we do well to understand that the Sadducees missed. And so today, I want us to consider what message it is to be grasped. That anyone who would read the Scriptures, what's the message that we need to grasp? That the Sadducees did miss in their day. First of all, there is the message this. The message is that there is a continuity in the Scriptures. They missed. They did not understand the continuity of the Scriptures. The Sadducees were actually a very interesting mix of positions. As far as the things that they embraced and the things that they rejected. On the one hand, they rejected the traditions that the Pharisees embraced. The traditions that had been passed down through the centuries that the Pharisees held in high esteem, even to the place of Scripture. And Jesus said that oftentimes that they would set Scripture aside for the sake of their traditions. The Pharisees regarded these traditions very highly and in fact would often hold to them and turn Scripture upon its head. The Sadducees didn't recognize these traditions. One of the points of disagreement with the Pharisees. The Sadducees, they recognized only scriptural doctrine. In other words, what do the scriptures say? And in particular, they were fond of the book of Moses, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. Some have even gone so far as to accuse the Sadducees of only regarding those first five books as divinely inspired. And that seems to be overstating the case. But they did seem to have a special regard for the books of Moses, for the law in particular. On the other hand, they denied the soul's immortality. They denied the body's resurrection. They denied the existence of angels, which we read there in Acts chapter 23 a few minutes ago. Solomon has described the theology of the Sadducees as this. It was a religion within the limits of mere sensation. A religion within the limits of mere sensation and probably due to the Greek influence that the Sadducees gave way to, they rejected doctrines that were improvable by pure reason. So you have an interesting mix here with these Pharisees. On the one hand, it's commendable. To protect Scripture's unique authority and to reject the traditions that the Pharisees had elevated equal to and even above the Scriptures. However, it becomes counterproductive to deny the truths that are taught in the Old Testament Scriptures simply because you can't reason your way to accept it. 
And so the error of the fallacies was they failed to see the continuity of Scripture. That Scripture stays together. It is one cohesive unit to be received, to be submitted to, to obey its teachings. And they failed to recognize that. That they gave a priority to the Mosaic books is evident somewhat degree in their appeal when they come here to Jesus here in verse 28. What do they say? They question him saying, teacher, Moses wrote. Here we are. This is right from the first five books of Moses. Moses wrote this. We give authorities higher, recognize a higher place for these and anyone else recognize it as as the word of God. This is what Moses says. And they quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse following there of what is to happen if a man takes a wife and this man has no children so that and he passes away and his wife is left so that his name will continue on. His brother is to take his wife, the first male child to assume the name of the deceased brother so that the family name will continue. And so they cite that reference there from Deuteronomy chapter 25. And even when Jesus responds, now Jesus responds to them in verse 37. But that the dead are raised, what does Jesus say? Even Moses showed it. That's there too, guys. That there is the immortality of the soul. That there is a resurrection of the dead. Moses reveals that too. The Sadducees, as Jesus charges, they do not understand the Scriptures. They do not understand the Scriptures, nor the power of God. They do not understand the clear teaching throughout the Scriptures regarding the soul's immortality and the body's resurrection. They don't understand the Scriptures that it was a clear expectation of the patriarchs in the Old Testament that there would be a resurrection. And the teaching of the Scriptures is explicit that there is a resurrection in some texts. For example, example, Psalm chapter 16. You say, well, you're not reading from the books of Moses. I say, well, I'm not a Sadducee. <laughs> Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 and following. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Who's he talking about here? The immediate context here is, is he speaking of his himself. The ultimate fulfillment which is referenced in Acts chapter 2, he's speaking of Christ. But either way, there is the explicit teaching of a resurrection. Psalm chapter 17, verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Then Daniel chapter 12 Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those to everlasting life, but the others, these to everlasting life, but to the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So there is the explicit teaching in some texts of the Old Testament of the resurrection of the body. But even where it's not explicit, it is implied, it is implicit in many other texts. Note here, for example, in verse 3 of our text back in Luke chapter 20. When Jesus says, but the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls, nearly quotes, calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Here, quoting from the book of Exodus. Now, how many of you 
would have gone to that text as a proof text for the immortality of the soul and the resurrection of the body. (laughs) It would not have been on my top ten. Hey, there's proof here in the book of Moses of a resurrection. Read this what he says here. I am the God of Abraham, the God of God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Proof. You know, that's one of those. I'm not I'm not tracking here. And what does Jesus say? He says in verse then he explains in verse thirty eight. He's not the God of the dead. If he's the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, they're alive. Because he's not a God of dead people. Non-existing people. And then he says there at the very end of verse 38, For all live to Him. So you have in the Old Testament explicit teachings regarding the resurrection. Very clear, it speaks of a resurrection. But you also have, in many places, implied teaching regarding the resurrection, the immortality of the soul. And Jesus cites one here. So it's there. And so what you have here for these Sadducees are, in the words of our modern day society, an inconvenient truth. And one a little bit more important than global warming, by the way. Here's an inconvenient truth for the Sadducees to deal with. It's all through the Scriptures. All through the Old Testament. That there is the resurrection. That all of Scripture must be regarded as equally true. All Scripture regarded as being God-breathed. And so it places upon us the responsibility that we be students of all the Scriptures, submitting to the authority of all Scripture. And we must be careful as we see as in the example here, to be careful that we're not guilty of undermining biblical truth with the Scriptures themselves. Here they are citing an Old Testament text. Moses said this. There can't be a resurrection. This would be absolutely nonsensical if that were the case. What are they doing? They're pitting Scripture against Scripture, evidently undermining the truth of Scripture with their, quote, their proof texting. And to be careful in our handling of the Scriptures that we do not begin to undermine biblical truth with the Scriptures themselves because we've misapplied or we've misunderstood what a particular text is saying and teaching. There's the first warning. But also to be careful of novel interpretations. Novel interpretations of Scriptures and of Scripture texts. The Sadducees were very novel. In fact, when you speak of the Sadducees, it's interesting, isn't it? That when all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke, when they speak of this encounter, they all say the same thing. The Sadducees, this is what they said, who do not believe in the resurrection. They're known for this thing. This is what sets the Sadducees apart. This novel interpretation of Scripture that there is no immortality of the soul. There is no resurrection of the dead. And be particularly careful of novel interpretations of Scripture if it serves me. If it's convenient to what I want it to say or what I wish it could say or what I want it to justify in my own life. To be very careful of going to the Scriptures and making it serve me. One of the good words of advice I received when I was in Bible school from one of the professors there, he said, as you're studying a text of Scripture, you need to go, then you pray and you ask God to open your eyes and look for the insights that are there. And if you look around and say, boy, I've got this great, wonderful insight. I've never seen it before. I just, I just can't believe that it's there. Then he says, go to the commentators. Go to the commentaries and see what the other guys have said. And listen, if your interpretation is so novel and no one else has ever come up with it, you're probably wrong. Get rid of it. See, we need to be careful 
of going to the Scriptures and trying to prove our point that the, that the, book, the Bible becomes nothing more than a collection of proof texts for my positions that I can defend myself going to the Word of God. And not only are we capable of that, we are inclined to do that. That if we have those things that we want to defend, we can justify any number of sins with Scripture. And so you have here these Pharisees, very novel in their understanding of the doctrines of the Scriptures, but according to the words of Jesus, very wrong. You are mistaken. And the care needs to be taken regarding a proof text theology. The Scriptures, the Sadducees had their scriptural point, didn't they? Here's our point. Moses said this. And it's interesting in the counterpoint. Again, as we look at the text that Jesus used to counter them, there's no mention in that text of the immortality of the soul. There's no mention in that text of the resurrection of the body, but it was enough that when Jesus referred to it, it silenced them. They realized, whoa, he is at a whole different level than we are. He's a much deeper understanding and appreciation and application of the Scriptures than we have. And so it says there, they, verse 40, they did not have the courage to question Him any longer about anything. So what do we do when we come to the points of Scripture that seem to be conflicting? We go to the Scriptures and we see, I don't see how this passage here can be right and this be right. They seem to be conflicting one with another. What do we do? And obviously there are different opinions on various Scripture texts and Scripture themes and Scripture theologies. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today as a Reformed Baptist church among a community in a city of about 30 or 40 different denominations. There are differences in understanding of the Scriptures. We must be those as students of the Word that we go and we study. What is the overarching theme, the overarching teaching of Scripture, not to go to any one passage of Scripture and to build my theology upon it, but to look at all of Scriptures and to discern what is the message throughout Scripture, the overarching truth regarding this, to be those who pray over this. Lord, help us to see, help us to understand. But to understand, ultimately, the problem lies with me, not with the Scriptures. And the Scriptures did not become subservient to me and to my whims and my desires. I encountered a gentleman just a few months ago, and he was called the church and wanted some information about the church. I went to his home, and, and I sat down with him. I realized just very quickly he had about three or four doctrinal, I call them doctrinal pets or pet peeves, that he was a stickler on, which I didn't agree with any of them. But he wanted to go and he had his, not only did he have his scriptural basis for this, but in the scriptures that I would present to counter his position on not just one occasion, at least two occasions, he's, he made the statement, well, I know it's usually translated, but it could be translated this way. There's another danger sign. There's another danger sign. There are a lot brighter minds than mine out there giving helpful and, I think, rightful interpretations of Scripture. And I appreciate the saints of old that have gone before. I don't equate their writings, their commentaries with the Word of God. But neither do I undermine the fact that God has worked and revealed the meaning of His truth to men throughout church history. And to value that. To go and to be willing to say, you know, these guys are a lot sharper than I am. And this is the conclusion they came to. I need to be careful if I'm going to deviate too far from that. Because the Sadducees here, they failed to see the continuity of Scripture. It was a hit and miss. We like this truth. We don't like this truth. And here they missed a, a major truth regarding the immortality of the soul and the resurrection of the body. Second thing we see that the Sadducees 
Sadducees failed to grasp is the content of Scripture. The content of Scripture. Now, if you had gone to the Sadducees, you could have asked them any number of Bible content questions. Let's go to the Old Testament and let's have a Bible trivia questionnaire here. See, see how much you know here. And you could have gone to the Sadducees and they knew the Old Testament. They knew the stories. They knew what it contained. However, the denial of the soul's immortality and the resurrection of the body reveals that something here is being missed. They're not getting something. And as we go to the Old Testament, and if we begin reading in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, here's what we see. We see that the Scripture reveals to us God's creative order, that man was created in the image of God. He had dominion over His creation, and He was created to have fellowship with God, created participating in this fellowship with God, and there was the potential of of eternal life through obedience. All Adam had to do was toe the line for a certain probation period, which you don't know what it was, and eternal life. All the blessings of God. But as we read on through the Old Testament, we also see this, that there was something that took place and that was sin, wasn't it? And that with sin, there came not only the threat, but also the actual realization of death. Not only the threat of death, but the realization death did enter because of man's sin. And then we see as we read on through the Old Testament and still in Genesis, mind you, as we read on that God's response to sin and death was what? We're in Genesis chapter 3 now. That God's response to sin and to death was a promise and a process of redemption and deliverance. So God begins to, to work in reversing what has transpired because of sin. So hence, when we come to the Old Testament, we must realize that what the Old Testament is to us is a, is a recording of redemptive history. It is redemptive history. It is the story of God redeeming, falling men from sin and also from all the consequences of sin, death included. So the Sadducees' position of denying the soul's immortality and the body's resurrection is a denial of God's redemptive work and His power. In their scenario, sin wins. Again, well acquainted with the stories of Scripture, but they miss a basic theme of the Old Testament. That is the consequence of sin. Death is completely countered by God's redemptive work. And so that when Jesus says to the Sadducees, you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God. He nailed it. You don't understand the story of redemptive history that God is redeeming fallen men. And you don't understand the power of God that is able to take a race that is destroyed and experiencing death and completely undo that in His redemptive work. That's the Old Testament. You don't understand the Scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. That He is reversing what has come as a consequence of of sin. And how many are those who have a great grasp of the Scriptures, who have a great understanding of Christianity, and at the same time fail to demonstrate anything that is consistent with that which they say they believe? Sadducees, we believe the Old Testament is divinely inspired. We believe it as the Word of God. But their life was anything but consistent with what they claimed to believe. 
How many are those who know and defend the great doctrines of the Scriptures, but at the same time, they show no grace. No grace of humility. No grace of patience and love toward their fellow man. And the shame of knowing much of God and much of God's ways and at least the things that God has been doing at the same time be a living contradiction to everything that you profess. Listen. We do not understand the Scriptures nor the power of God when we are excusing and accommodating our own sinful actions, our sinful attitudes, our sinful words. We're living lives like that. We don't understand the Scriptures nor the power of God. Paul talks, speaks in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 of in the last days of those who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. In other words, there's, the, there's an appearance, there's an outward form of what godliness should look like, but they deny the power of God because there are no inward graces that should be present with it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, there Paul speaks of the grace that instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly. How sad are the the Sadducees if they didn't understand the content of Scripture? Oh, they can do the stories. But they didn't see the, the work of redemption. They didn't see what God was countering. What His redemptive work is doing that sin is defeated once and for all. Let me ask you. Does your understanding of the Scriptures and your understanding of the power of God lead you from sin to holy living? We have a new question at our home. <laughs> I say it's new in that you, know, you kind of go through seasons, especially in training children, of trying different things. The new question that we've been addressing when issues come up in our home with our children is this. Where's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in this? It's a question sometimes has to be Directed toward Daddy, too. Now, where is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Does your understanding of the Scriptures and the power of God, does it stir you, stir within you a gratitude for God's work in you and against sin? And if not, We fail to understand the Scriptures as well as the power of God. The power of God that delivers us from sin. And the power of God that delivers us once and for all the consequence of sin. And the Sadducees didn't get that. And finally we see they did not understand They did not see the climax of Scripture. It's pretty clear in this encounter that the Sadducees, they missed the entire focal point of the Scriptures. How do we know that? Well, the focal point of the Scriptures is this, that there is a Messiah who is going to come. This Messiah will serve as a mediator between God and men. And here the Sadducees, here they stand in direct Opposition to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. How do I know that they did not understand the Scriptures? Because here they are with the one who's been spoken of through the Scriptures. They're seeing Him face to face. And they know His story. They know what Jesus has been doing for three years in public ministry. 
They know the miracles that He's performed. And though they would not be complimentary, they understand the good things that He's done for people. But here they stand face to face with this Messiah, with this Christ, and they are opposed to Him. See, whatever claim to scriptural authority they embrace, and whatever claim to scriptural authority anyone would embrace, if it fails to direct them or us to Jesus as the Christ, it is faulty and it is inadequate. If your understanding of the Scriptures did not lead you to see Christ is the climax, He is the center point of all Scripture, then your, your understanding is faulty. And it is woefully inadequate because it has not done what needs to be done most of all, and that is to direct you to Christ. And so here the Sadducees, they come to Jesus with their trick question. Verse 28 and following. Here's what Moses wrote. Seven of these brothers who all die and they... Finally the wife dies and all childless. Verse 33, so in the resurrection, therefore, here's the question. In this resurrection that you're so confident of, Whose wife is she going to be? Because after all, she had seven husbands here. One after the other. Now it was the attempt here by the Sadducees to to place Jesus on the the horns of a dilemma. Got two options for an answer here. And they're thinking. Option A is, well, in the resurrection, the woman would have many husbands. Which, that's absurd. You know, Muslims have it the other way. You know, the man can have a lot of wives. You know, a wife with many husbands. That's just absolutely absurd that there's going to be a woman who has many husbands in the resurrection. Option B, again, according to their thinking, is well, one of her husbands will be, one of the husbands she had on the earth will be her husband in the resurrection. You know, why? The question that asked them, well, why would you pick one over the other? Would it be the first or the last one? Which one of these husbands would be her husband? So they figure with the only options that Jesus has got. That she's going to have a bunch of husbands. That's absurd. Or she's going to have one husband. I had to determine which one. They think they've got Jesus. Horns of dilemma. What are you going to say? You know, the viability of this story is, is no, no, it's possible. We don't know if it's something that actually happened or not, but they present it as such. And you know, we can't say for sure they did not. But I'll tell you, my first suggestion would be this. Somebody check out woman's Kool-Aid. There's something going wrong here. Check out what she's doing in the kitchen if this is the case. But here's what does Jesus do in this encounter? Number one, He gives a Bible lesson. He gives a Bible lesson on the distinctions between the present state and the eternal state. Things are going to be different in our eternal state than they are in the present state. The sons of this age, verse 34, marry and are given in marriage. Men marry and the women given in marriage. Verse 35, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, they don't marry nor are they given in marriage in the eternal state. For they cannot die anymore. You see, part of, not completely, but part of our existence here is the propagation of the human race. Well, we at eternal states. Nobody's going to be missing. (laughs) Nobody's going to die. Because they are like angels, angel-like, and no, we don't become little cherubs and all that. Angels in the sense that the angels are not given in marriage. And are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So he gives a Bible lesson here, first of all, distinguishing between the present and the eternal state. Number two, he affirms the consistent testimony of the Old Testament from Moses regarding the resurrection. When he quotes there in verse 37, here's his proof text. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, 
And number three, he instructs upon the nature of God. What does he say there? The very last part of verse 38. He's not the God of the dead, but the living. All live to him. All live to God. So he shows, Jesus shows his perfect understanding of the scriptures as well as the power of God. So we affirm, as the people of God, we affirm the central message of Scripture, and that is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As Jesus himself says, it recorded in Luke 24, 27, all the Scriptures speak of him. All the Scriptures speak of Christ. The message that we proclaim is a Christ-centered message. The Scriptures that we uphold, that we study, that we give ourselves to, understanding, they are The center point is Christ. Christ is central from Genesis to Revelation. Christ is there. All speaks of Christ. That's what he says. But also the salvation comes only through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for our sins. And that repentance... And faith is the means that God has ordained by which we partake of these benefits. There is the climax of Scripture. It's the person and the work of Jesus Christ, salvation through Him, the gospel message of salvation of all who believe in Him. There it is. And they missed it. Here He is. They're standing before Him face to face. The only means, the only hope, the only provision of salvation that God has given, here He is. And they're looking at Him, and they're talking to Him, and they're hating Him. Sadducees. I haven't said it yet, but that's why they were sad, you see. (laughs) said it. They did not... Recognize they did not see the continuity of the Scriptures, nor even the content of the Scriptures, the redemptive work of God countering all that sin has done. Which is greater, sin or God? They would sing that song, Grace that is greater than all of our sin. The Sadducees couldn't sing that. Well, grace isn't greater than all of our sin because we just die and death comes with sin, and so sin wins. And they missed the, the climax, the center point of, of Scriptures. That's the person and the work of Christ. Whereby men can be saved. <clears throat> so the question then is how do we gain such a clear understanding of Scriptures? How do we rightfully, rightly understand the Scriptures? And we must recognize that it comes as a gift of God's grace, the revelation of God's Spirit to our hearts. Scripture is not understood simply by wise men. If that were the case, I'm afraid that I would have been left out. Scripture is not merely understood by men of nobility. Scriptures are understood and grasped by the revelation of the Spirit of God to our hearts. And if we have any understanding of the Scriptures today, and if you understand the things that I've shared with you today, you understand the continuity of Scriptures. You don't just pick and choose. You understand it's a, it's a united work. It's a united book of God. And you understand the content of Scripture. That there's this redemptive work that God's doing, and He's counting all the consequences of sin, including death itself. And you understand that Jesus Christ is the central point of all of Scripture. He's the focal point. You understand that. Then you don't realize how much you owe to the grace of God and His Spirit. It's more than just stories. It's more than just doctrinal truths and positions. It is a revelation to the heart of man whereby we look at these things and they and they show us our need of Christ. They show us, the Scriptures show to us, a separation from God, but also salvation provided by God, reconciliation with God at God's initiative. It's there. But there are vast multitudes of people who see it and read it and read it and never understand it. To 
give thanks to the work of the Spirit of God to give us understanding of the Scriptures. And to whatever degree that we fail to understand any particular truth, as imperfect as our as our positions may be, and I've said to you it just many times, you know, just I agree with the, the spirit of what John MacArthur has said, that I know there are errors in my theology. I just don't know where they are. I understand that. And so there are some things you're going to hear me proclaim, and I'm not going to be very dogmatic about it. There are other things on the essence of the faith We'll go to the wall about it. But to discern those things and realize that any degree of understanding we have comes by the Spirit of God. And wherein there are things that are just not sure go and say, Lord, give me understanding. Open Your Word to me. Yes, I do that to some degree every week as I go to prepare for each Sunday. Lord, I, I want to understand what You're saying here. Not only for my soul's sake, but for the sake of those who will be hearing. God, give us understanding. And spare us from the errors of the Sadducees. Granted, as the children of God, our, the consequences would not be so great. But any error in our thinking regarding the Scriptures has some consequence. God spare us. God give us understanding. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You do reveal the Scriptures to us. That we see that it's more than just the stories of men, but it is the story of God. It is your story, your redemptive story. And we thank you not only for the, for the understanding, but we also thank you for the content, for the reality of that there is a Christ who has come, who has laid down his life so that sinful men might be forgiven and they might be brought to communion and fellowship with God. And Lord, we are very mindful that we embrace these truths only because you have revealed them to us and you've opened our hearts and eyes. Help us, Lord, to communicate this message. Lord, to many who do not see, to be those who would correct the erring brother, but Lord, to also be those who would seek the lost and wandering sheep with the message of the gospel of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.